0: To have you here, um, we're in a series on the Sermon of the Mount, um, life in God's kingdom under God's good rule. Uh, we've been hearing how Jesus has exhorted his followers to the righteousness or the rightness of heart that flows from a new heart that God creates in His people uh, by the transforming power of His forgiveness and outpoured Spirit. We, we, we've been hearing how, uh, in the Old Testament, the the the, the promise was that God was going to move people to to live the, the, the right life under the kingdom, not by kind of trying harder, doubling your efforts, but he was going to do something in the hearts of us. And he was going to do that, uh, it says in Jeremiah, by forgiving us. Our, forgiving and in, in Ezekiel, it says, by pouring out his spirit on us. So that's, that's kind of like Jesus' kind of mandate. And he, he comes preaching... Uh, uh, the kingdom of God, and he comes preaching how to live the good life, and, and, and Jesus being Jesus, I don't know if you ever listen to kind of uh, the Thought for the Day on Radio 4 or, or on Radio 2 or whatever, I mean they're very nice, aren't they? But I mean Jesus I don't think would be allowed to, to be on Thought for the Day, <laughs> you know, he's far too disturbing, challenging in what you said, you know, most t- times Thought for the Day are kind of helpful little thoughts, and I, I'm not against them, but you know, Jesus doesn't He's like that. He dives straight in. So what we're up to in the Sermon on the Mount, we're up to uh, Jesus' challenging thoughts on marriage, sexual desire, and justice. (laughs) So hold on to your hats. I did check whether the youth were in or not. It would be good for the youth to be in, but they're not in. Uh, But anyway, so let's let's dive into that, and then I'm going to pray, because we're absolutely going to need God's help. Okay, so Jesus... There's a series of six things where Jesus says, you've heard it said, and he mentions the Old Testament, uh, or something that's been written, or people's understanding of the Old Testament laws, and then he says, but I tell you, and he kind of takes it upstream into the heart, so that's where we are. So Matthew five twenty-seven, it says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than the whole body to be thrown into Gehenna or hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to go into Gehenna. It's been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her a victim of adultery, and anyone marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Father, these challenging words, super challenging. First thing I want to say is marriage. Uh, Jesus uh, says, you, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. <coughs> adultery is not really a word that we use these days, uh, but basically adultery was any, uh, any sex outside of the marriage relationship, any sex outside that marriage relationship between a, a, a man and a woman. And and that's the kind of underlying, so when he says commit adultery, everybody would have kind of known what he meant by marriage. I mean, already, I'm not going to go there today, but the, the, the word marriage is already, uh, it's been redefined, as many things have been redefined, but he's saying, no, you know, this is, this, this is what it is, and, and he goes actually, and we, in, we're not doing the whole of Matthew, but in Matthew 19, he kind of, Explains what he means that by this, and he says, Haven't you read that God created them in the beginning, uh, made them male and female? And God also said, for this reason, we read this at weddings, don't we? For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. They are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate. And behind this view of marriage or this 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 this, this idea of marriage that, that Jesus is is talking about is this incredible joining together of a, of a man and a woman and and it actually it, when you when you're asking Jesus kind of like tell me where you get get stuff or he's asked questions, he often goes right back to the beginning of the Bible. He goes like page 1, page 2, chapter 1, chapter 2. And that's what he did in Matthew 19. He basically quotes out of page 1, uh, God made them male and female, and page 2 about a man will uh, join together with his wife and they become one flesh. And he's basically saying, here's a, here's a picture of what's happening. This picture of this, this man and wife, this marriage uh, image, husband and wife, is, is a picture of something really very profound, and if you've been to a wedding, though, I've spoken, I have to spoke about this, but it's a picture of heaven, uh, which is not like some place up in the sky, but is where, where God dwells, and earth, which is where we dwell. And, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the, at the beginning, it says God created the heavens and the earth, and the heavens and the earth were, were together, they were one. God, it says, dwelt in the Garden of Eden. He, he, he dwelt with humanity, and there was a oneness. But actually, that later gets separated. It's a picture of of God and His people, and it's a picture of if you read the Old, uh, the New Testament, it's a picture of of Jesus and us, His bride, His church. So, so we've got in this imagery of marriage we 've got this a really important thing this isn 't just some social convention that Jesus is saying, be careful with he 's actually saying this is an image of of the, of, of the good news of what 's happened that the God and man have got separated by a thing called sin and and they 've been separated and Jesus is going to come and bring them back together in this incredible connection that's not just like I go on the Get Connected course and get, become a member or join or serve in a row. No, you you kind of joined with Jesus as like a husband. He's, a, he's the, uh, the bridegroom and we're, uh, we're the bride. And that's like this incredible thing. And so, the, so Jesus says, like, don't mess with this. This is really a, 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 a really precious thing. It images it, it, it something that's really precious. Don't mess with this. And he says, don't go and have sex with somebody who's not your covenant partner. Somebody who's not, you've not done that marriage ceremony. Don't do that. Don't have sex. Don't break that. And, and they would have understood that. And where does that come from? Thou shalt not commit adultery comes from? Ten Commandments. It's like, they knew it. It's like number seven in the hit parade of, you know, be like this. And they kind of knew that. And, and, and Jesus says, don't do that. Don't get yourself in a situation where you're going to be having sex with somebody who's not your covenant partner. No. So far, so good. Or maybe not so good. You know, in our culture, it's like, what are you talking about? Let me light this candle Actually, nice. No, can you light this candle for me while I'm talking? I want to ask you the question. Oh, so we, the next point, that's, that's a little recap on marriage. Sexual desire, because Jesus is going to take the question of adultery, as I said, upstream, and he's going to talk about sexual desire. And I want to ask you the question, as Naomi lights this candle, and we try not to burn down the parabola Art Centre. O Question. fire is it good or is it bad Ooh, that's somebody went very quickly there Tim you're <laughs> supposed to cre- there's supposed to be a little bit of tension in this question it's not meant to be ah depends on the context <laughs> thank you <laughs> you're supposed to be like hmm I don't know is fire good or is it bad let's assume that there's that not everyone's as clever as Tim <laughs> okay so anybody can tell me if fire's good you are allowed to participate at this point. Fire's good for? Warmth. Cooking. Light. Refining. Energy. It's like in the internal combustion engine, there's a, there's a fire in the middle of your car, if you can get petrol to fuel the fire. You know, in, in that sense, it's good. And, it, and it's, kind of, it's kind of beautiful, isn't it? If we turn down the lights and we just have just this light, it be this beautiful, wow, oh, attractive. You know, I don't, I don't know if you ever look at fire pits... And, um, oh, it's already there. Don't worry, I've jumped to the other side. But if, 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 if you look at a fire pit, I love that kind of luminescence at the end. You know, it's kind of, how does that work? You know, how do the embers just do that kind of thing? And you, you just look, don't you? And there's like everyone, Naomi says, oh, we're going to go to bed. And me and Jonathan say, we're just going to stay and look a little bit more. And it's kind of mesmerizing and it's, it's, it's beautiful and it's attractive and it draws you in. Yes? Yeah, yeah. So it's good, eh? But it's also really harmful. Here is a picture of Australia, but I could have given you Turkey, I could have given you Greece, I could have given you, uh, you know, California. It's a wildfire. You know, is, is fire good then? No, it's not. It's not good then, is it? You know, it, it, in, in, whereas, whereas light from the sun, the light from the sun can bring life, here fire brings death, it brings darkness, it brings destruction. In, in its path, there's, there's nothing left, just blackness and waste and destruction. So, so fire, as Tim helpfully said, the answer's yes. Is fire good or bad? The answer's yes. It, det- it depends on what. How you use it depends on the context. The context. I took this out of here and I light Elliot's shirt for basically embarrassing us for <laughs> how badly we. Well, no, you know, then, then suddenly the water's good becomes bad, and you, you get that, don't you? Hold that picture. Try not to. Do I? Do we worry that the smoke alarm's gonna go off and we're all gonna get soaked? So it is that kind of Sunday. Okay, so, but this, uh, the, the, there's a whole book in the Bible about sexual desire. See, I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have. Oh, man, it's one of those, isn't it? It's really one of those Sundays. Okay, we're good. We're good. Okay, so uh, there's, a song, there's a book in the Bible called, about sexual desire called The Song of Solomon or The Song of Songs, and it does this incredible link... Between love, sexual desire, ardent love is the actual phrase, and fire. Here it is. Ardent love, passionate love. Oh, we don't use ardent these days, do we? Passionate love is unrelenting over the grave. In other words, it just cannot be stopped, it's inevitable. And then it says, Love's flames, or ardent loves, or passionate loves' flames, uh, are fiery flames, the fiercest of all. Mighty waters can. <laughs> put them out, extinguish them. Rivers cannot sweep them away. In other words, if you love someone, it is really hard to extinguish that. It's kind of inextinguishable. There's something incredibly powerful about, about sexual desire. And so in the right context, sexual desire is meant to do what? meant to join you to your partner so that you feel like, wow, I'm deeply, deeply connected to them. Well, I said partner, I should say husband and wife, because obviously partner's been redefined, hasn't it? You know? It's meant to join you. And, and if you're a husband and wife and you haven't had sex for a long time, you need to have sex. Just go home and say, the pastor said... <laughs> It's really good, it needs to join you. And ladies, you can smile and say, amen. <laughs> you know, it, it's meant to, it's like a, the heat of, 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 of sexual desire is meant to weld you together. It's good in that context, it's really, really good in that context. It's a blessing in that context. It's important in that context. It images the joining together of heaven and earth. It, in one sense, uh, one writer who's a, a university lecturer at Bristol University, uh, he said that every, every sense of sexual desire is, is ultimately expression of our desire for the divine. Okay, so sexual desire, is it good or bad in the right context? In marriage, brilliant. Out of the marriage Covenant, out of the context of marriage, it can be an absolute curse. It can, it, it's like a wildfire, it can burn and damage and destroy. And in one sense, because of the power of it, because it's a power, sexual desire is a power like fire. It's not good or bad, it's a power. It's the context it's used in. And, and so, what's happened is, in our, in our society, sex, uh, everyone says, well, it's a great power, you just have to do it, you just have to do it. The church, although over the centuries, is like, no, it's a really bad power. How, what, you're talking about on Sunday and, oh my word, it's a really bad power. I found this from the 5th century, uh, uh, which will make me laugh. You know it. Yeah, he knows where I'm going. In the 5th century, the church, there was only one church then, uh, forbade, uh, forbade sex between married couples on holy days. Okay, so, you know, holy day, when you're on holiday, that's a holy day. Okay, boom, survey says no. And then also on Thursdays, in memory of the Lord's arrest. On Friday, in memory of the crucifixion. You can't have sex on Saturday to honour the Virgin Mary. What's it to do with her? She never had sex. Well, she did later. She did later. On Saturday, on Sunday, to celebrate the Christ's resurrection on on Monday, in respect of the departed souls. Guess what day of week I have off. (laughs) Tuesday. (laughs) Tuesday. Purely coincidence. Maybe that's why you're all leaving your small groups on a Wednesday early. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Aha! And we've had this idea of sex as this kind of dirty, crazy thing that you, whoa, the church... Because we we, we haven't understood, we, we, we haven't understood its power and it needs the right context and we've just said, no. Blow the wretched thing out. Jesus isn't saying that. He's saying context is everything when it comes to sex. Verse 28, I tell you, anyone who stares, the the NIV says, looks, we'll look at that in a minute, "uh, looks at a woman with lust or lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he's saying, okay, that's the context. You're not to have sex with somebody who's not your covenant partner. And then he says, okay, where does that action start? It starts in the heart. It starts in your heart, and he just goes to almost like the the lowest level. If you've been stared at in that way, you kind of know, yeah. If you've been stared at in that way, you know, woman or man. But if you stared at in that way, you know. And if you've never been stared at in that way, you think, oh, I know, no one stares me that way, and we think it's harmless. I mean, we've seen this meme. Have you seen this meme? We always well, it's funny, isn't it? You know, we always kind of put different labels on the different things. You know, he was a Leeds fan; they've done terribly, and now he's supporting the team in red, and you know, all that nonsense. What we do with it and stuff? And but actually, what Jesus is saying: this look, and it's not saying notice notice a beautiful woman, or notice a beautiful man. Women do it as well. Notice a beautiful woman. He's saying, what what what's what's happening here? It's the look, isn't it? It's the stare, it's the, it's the lingered kind of focusing, it's the slow uh, imagining what it might be if you had sex with her or him. It's that look that kind of goes on in your head and in your heart. And in one sense, this, our society would say, oh, n- you know, nothing wrong with that. I mean, interestingly, the Me Too movement is to say, no, that, that's wrong. But, but a lot of our society says, well, that's just happened, that's just how it is, that's just things. But Jesus is saying, look, if you're going to play that kind of movie in your head... That is ultimately a destructive pathway, that that flows downstream to a wildfire. It flows downstream to something that's uncontrollable. It flows downstream to something that's ultimately destructive. And, and that, we, that, that the reality Jesus is saying, if you do that, you might end up doing that. And even if you don't, it's ultimately destructive. Solomon, who as who Christopher told us a couple of years ago had lots and lots of wives and lots and lots of sex, said this, do not lust in your heart after her beauty, or be captivated with her eyes, for a prostitute can be had for a price of bread. And I'm not, he's not advocating prostitution or giving bread to a woman to have sex or whatever but he's saying. Sex is easily available. He says, but, but adultery preys on your very life. And then he uses a fire idea. He says, Can a man scoop fire into his lap? It's interesting he uses the word lap, but hey, let's move on. He can move fire into his lap without being burned. Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? What what Proverbs is saying is, this is fire, and if you let it out, into the wrong context or just play it in your mind, it's actually going to do something destructive to you and it might ultimately do destruct something destructive out there. And Jesus like, seems to then go completely, because our society says, what you do in your own room, what you do in your own mind, it's completely your own thing. Jesus seems to go like whoa, way over the top. Jesus, whoa, whoa, whoa. How do we do? What's going on here? This is this is how serious serious it is. Says Jesus. He says if your right eye causes you to stumble or sin, says some, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to lose one part of your body than for your uh, one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell or Gehenna. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to go into Gehenna. I mean, it'd be really bizarre church, wouldn't it, if we all arrived next week? (laughs) You know, I'm wearing my eye patch. I almost wore an eye patch. I was going to wear an eye patch, and you'd all think, Tim would know immediately what I'm doing. But, you know, I was going to wear an eye patch, and just to think, like, oh, what's he doing? But I thought, no, that would be just ridiculous. you just think it's a pirate talk. (laughs) But it sounded like Jesus. Whoa, whoa, whoa! What's going on? You're basically saying if you're doing that, it's like your whole you, you, you end up your whole body's going to be thrown into Gehenna, into hell. Let's let's double click. What does he mean by Gehenna? There's five sermons in here, but here's one on here's a, a two second one on Gehenna. Gehenna is the word we use for hell. Gehenna was a valley outside Jerusalem. It was on the side where the as the As After the sun had been overhead, it was quickly in shadow. So it was a dark valley outside Jerusalem, called the Valley of Hymnon. Outside the city walls of Jerusalem. And what used to happen is, when Israel was at its lowest point, the people of Israel used to slide outside the city at cover of dark and have... Sexual worship. The, 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 the gods that they worship were called Baal, and Astra, Astra's like shaped like a phallus, Astra Poles, that's where you read it in the Bible, and, and Moloch. Who, who, and, and they'd go and they'd, they'd go and basically go out of the city and have sex. And and, and what they do some, sometimes when it got incredibly worse is that they would take their children and offer them as sacrifices in the fire to a God called Moloch. And that's a, that's a drawing. I, I had to work really hard to find one that I could show. Jesus is saying, if, if you are casual with your sexual desire, it's going to lead you to that dark, horrible place. well, Jesus, that's, is that really true? Is that really what happens? Surely we can just have a little bit of fire and it's going to be fine. He says, no, if you let it out, suddenly the whole place is ablaze. It's going to be like the fires in Gehenna. In fact, Gehenna was like, uh, I, I don't know if this is true or not, it's debated, but they talk about Gehenna as like, became this rubbish dump for, for Jerusalem, that kind of where the rubbish just burned. And actually when, when, when criminals were, were were killed their bodies were thrown in, in the rubbish dump uh, into gehenna and even the romans continued to, to would throw crucified bodies in, in in the in the rubbish dump and he's saying that if you don't be careful you can end up with this destructive blackened death and dis- and darkness over your life So be careful. Be careful what you do with your sexual desire. And then I didn't really think, well, where to go. And then I thought, actually, this is about justice. So my last point. This is about justice. Jesus says, uh, I tell you that anyone who stares at a woman with lustful intent or lust in his heart has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Is there a typo there? Sorry. Um, Jesus is talking to a mixed crowd of men and women. He's not just talking to 12 guys. That comes later. That's chapter 10 in Matthew. So there's not 12 guys, 12 disciples. He's talking to a mixed crowd. And it's not that women never lust. It's not that women don't have sexual desire. It's not that, that women can't have the, do the look but there's something about the other gender, the men, that he wants to to nail here. Because there is one gender, isn't there, that's taken sexual desire and used it to oppress and dominate the other gender. Yeah? I'm not saying anything that you don't know. Jesus is almost addressing the... The culture about, guys, if you just let your, the wildfire of your sexual desire, what's going to happen is it's destructive for you internally, it's like coals in your lap, but it's also destructive to society. There's a kind of elephant in the room here. Pornography. I bet you're glad you came, aren't you? Happy, happy. I tried to put some funnies in, but man, it's a... Pornography. Ray Altland in his his new book on uh, 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 the death of porn says this. Pornography has taken advantage of every technology from videotapes to the internet and smart mobile phones. Pornography has moved from the uh, red light district and the top shelf onto your living room TV, your office laptop, and now to the phone in your jeans pocket. If you wanted to Look at... Pornography just means it's drawings of, porno, uh, of prostitutes. That's what it means, literally, the word. If you want to look at when I was a kid, if you wanted to get pornography, you would have to go to a shop and buy it off the shelf. And obviously, if you're a kid, then they weren't allowed to sell it to you. D- Excuse me, I didn't go, look at, didn't go buying pornography. I'm just saying what would happen if you wanted to. Goodness me. you know. And, and you'd kind of have to go and ask... Could it have that or whatever? And they say, You're not old enough, and whatever. And, and there'd be the, these magazines that you had to look at. You know, Playboy magazine started in, in the kind of early 1960s, and you'd, ha- you'd kind of have to, to look at that. Or if you wanted something darker, that you, occasionally on the high street, there'd be this thing called this pri- the private shop. Do you remember that? And I'm not saying if you remember it, you went to it. I'm just saying do you remember it and thought, What was that? I said to my mum, What's a private shop? She said, It's private. <laughs> Okay, mum. <laughs> Thank you. But Paul, now is in your hand. It's in your pocket. It's, it, it, it's in your available. It's in your kids' pockets. It's in the school kids' pockets. It's available. It's there. It's. It's like as if we say to every kid, well, why don't you just go around with this lighted candle and stick it in your pocket? You're going to be fine. You're not going to get burned. You're not going to get damaged. It's not going to catch anyone else. You just say, health and safety. But we all walk around with them in our pocket. Ray Altland continues, and I'm trying to hit you hard here, so brace yourself. He says, let's face what a porn site really is. When you log onto a porn site, you're standing in the doorway of a big, dark, a big room, semi-darkened. There are many sexual predators in there mistreating women and children. Those precious people are being humiliated. They're being tormented. The victims, who look like they're having fun, are faking it because they'll be punished even more if they don't perform on command. And you're there standing at the door. Ray Altland's book is all about porn is a justice issue. It's not just a little bit of titillation. I'm over 18, click, I'll be fine. It's a justice issue. The wildfire of the global sex industry has thrown 12.3 million people, including 2 million kids, into the fire. $100 billion. One of the biggest industries in the world. Jesus is saying, be careful. I tell, my daughter popped to see us um, uh, yesterday and, and I was telling her that what I was preaching about and she said, have you seen the, 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 the Twitter feed called Exodus Cry? Here's two, I just clicked follow and these are the two that came up. One on the right, I think it's there. Most porn ends up with women not only being presented as victims of violence, but often presented as the victims of violence who love it. I was talking to a school teacher not in Cheltenham. She works uh, down on the south coast. She said, the kids in her school, it's just blowing them away, messing them up. She works in a boys' school. She said, boys think the way to have sex is that you need to be choking or slapping or suffocating this, this woman. And she's supposed to like it. And then girls are... Seeing this and thinking, I don't want to be with a man. I must. I probably want to be with a woman. Because a woman's going to be understanding and sensitive. I don't want to be with a man. Exodus Christ says we're in the midst of the largest unregulated social experiment in human history. And it's a justice issue and it burns us and it burns our kids and it burns women. I'm going to put two graphs up and make no comment. Why is that happening? Well, I'm going to comment. Why is that happening? Why is that happening? Because it's a form of birth control for unregulated sexual desire. And Women, again, the sharp end. And society says, exercise your right. It's your body, exercise your right. But it's women at the sharp end. It's women who suffer the pain. It's women who lay awake at night that the, the number of women who've have been through this and i you know if you have I, I'm not judging you it's so sad I'm crying again I'm sorry and then we watched the news this week didn't we next graph next oh there we are what is going on what's going on A police officer comes and shows you his warrant card, then do this, do this, do this. But yet nobody says, we've got to do something about the look. We've got to do something about the stare. We've got to do something about the movie in our heads. Even in Jesus' time where they didn't have pornography, women were exploited. Matthew 5, 31, we're landing here and I'm... Well, no, I've got a little bit more, I'm sorry. A little bit more, but we will, we will turn out. It says, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Seems relatively reasonable. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. And this sounds really wrong. Even when you read it on one level, but when the way that the Jewish culture had interpreted it, it's very wrong. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if he finds her displeasing in his eyes because he's found some uncleanliness. Sometimes it's like, it, actually some translations say, something displeasing in her. He just writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house. That was basically saying, if a, if a woman commits adultery, she breaks the covenant relationship you're allowed to divorce her. And later on, Jesus says, I, I allowed you that because your hearts are hard. What had happened in, in, in Jewish culture was, if, if I mean, I've read different things like, if, if a man just decided, I'm, I'm tired of my wife, you know, she's burnt the toast, she's not pretty anymore, I'm going to trade her in, you could just say, you're gone. You're gone. And like, why? Because oh, I just want to work, work my sexual desire with somebody else. You, you're gone. Jesus says, no, 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 no. It has been said, and you've misinterpreted it. Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a stiff divorce. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife as sex for sexual immorality makes her a victim of adultery. In other words, women were, being, uh, women were being just divorced, and in the end, they weren't just like, they were cast out as non people of no rights, no money, and they were just being disregarded. And Jesus is saying, don't do that, men. Don't do that man. Don't just dismiss it. The only way is if the marriage relationship is broken. And actually, if you read Jesus, he's saying, even then, you can stay together. So this is a justice issue. Let me just land it. So how do we, re- how do we get to sexual purity? How do we get to sexual purity? It sounds like Jesus' answer is ridiculous. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. If your right hand uh, causes you to stumble, cut it off. Is that the answer? You know, is that really what he's saying? I mean, uh, Origen in the 3rd century was so fearful of the flaming passions of sex that he castrated himself. He said, actually, Jesus, you're missing a body part here. Eye and hand. I I really need to do something about this sexual desire. I need to cut it off. But when Jesus says your eye and your hand, he's actually saying something profound. Actually, Jewish culture says eye and hand and feet. Your eye is how you see the world. It's your worldview. What's right, what's wrong, what's dangerous, what's sensible. And we're being constantly bombarded with a worldview that says it's fine. You can play with fire and it's all fine. And if we see the world that way, then we'll, all, we'll never get sorted out. If we see the world that way, Jesus says, pluck that out. Get a different way of seeing, get a different worldview. And he said, and, and the hand is how we act in the world. Change your worldview and change how you act, and change what you're doing with your eyes, and change what you're doing with your hands, and change what you're really saying, what you really believe. So I know right now, we're just going to go to Jesus in a moment so the band, you can come on back. I know right now that this touches all of us, or lots of us. There'll be some who are feeling shame. I've got this habit. There's some who will feel indignant and Where's the justice? And we'll all be feeling trapped. Thinking, I don't know what to do. We sang a song. and didn't know we were going to talk on this. I see strongholds coming down. I see Jesus reaching out. Jesus is reaching out. This is not too hard for you to stop the look. It's not too hard for you to, to 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 say I'm going to have the the fire in its safe place. I'm going to have sexual desire in its rightful place. Because Jesus is reaching in. And how did He do it? I and mean, I think I find it amazing that every time we talk about Jesus on the cross, the cross is the answer. So where does Jesus die? That he- Oh, it should go up there and you can read it. Where does he die? Outside the city. What happens to him? He's naked. He's shamed. He's spat on. They slapped him in the face again and again. Crucifixion is a slow suffocation, a slow choking. Psalm... 22 says his, his heart was like melted inside him like fire Jesus stepped into the fire stepped into the heat of Gehenna he stepped into the, the place where this takes you so he can bring us out now you're probably nervous at this point I'm not going to ask you if you've got an addiction in some area. Come and stand at the front. We're not doing that. But the Bible does say, you've got to take this seriously. So seriously that he uses the imagery of pluck out your eye and cut off your hand. It's that serious. The Bible says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins. That's what he's doing in making our heart new, forgiving our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So what I want you to do is if, if you've been a victim or you've got a habit or you've got to do the stare or you've taken the fire and took it out of the right place, I'd hope in this church you know somebody to say, can we grab a coffee? By the way, if somebody grabbed, says in the tea and coffee, grab a coffee. They might not be meaning that. In case I invite you for coffee. But, you know, get somebody and talk to them. You know, Jesus is being a victim and he's been nailed to the cross. And what does he say? Father, forgive them. He's here to forgive, he's not here to point the finger, he's here to change the way we do it. Amen? Heavy, eh? But we love him for it, don't we? I mean, I love preaching about Jesus. Because he just knows us. He's so up to date. He's so relevant. He's so timeless. He's so loving and powerful. Gentle. So we're gonna break bread now. I want you to feel his forgiveness. If you're stuck, feel his forgiveness. If you've been hurt and damaged and abused, and that might be some of there's some of these things, there's stats that I put up. You think, well, that's me. It's not just a star. Just feel his grace for you, eh? Can we do that? Father, I just pray. Pour your grace on us now. Give us a mustard seed of faith to say, no, this can be transformed. Where we despair and think, oh, I'm so much a product of the world I'm in. hate ourselves for it. We'd gouge out our eye if we knew that, if we thought that was the answer. I pray, change the way we see that we wouldn't be like Israel sneaking out of the city in the dark of the night for adultery to say that you're you're not really God and people don't really matter. We say changes and transformers in Jesus' name. Amen.